0: Hello, folks. Welcome back to Courtside Wellness. I'm your host, Brandon St. Croix. After a hiatus away during Season 2, we are back to talk about topics such as mental health in the sport community, to share athletes' voices and their stories, and to enhance the overall well-being of the current and future athletes. We are honored today to have Jamal Jackson with us on Courtside to discuss his own story as an NCAA athlete, his journey into social work, and his upcoming documentary, See Isaac Run. Jamal brings an aspect of being an athlete and social worker to the field, which shows us the dynamics of how he was able to use his own experience to help grow the culture of sports in the Denver, Colorado area. So really want to thank Jamal for joining us here and bringing us to the court side. <laughs> We're back to Courtside Wellness with Jamal Jackson, former NCAA football player, current school social worker, and sports social worker. Thanks, Jamal, for joining us on Courtside today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here.
0: We've known each other for a long time, uh, going back to our days at the 104 Project and all the work that you've done over the years and related to sports social work. So I'm going to throw the ball over to yourself. Just give us a quick introduction to back yourself.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, my name is Jamal Jackson. I was born and raised in Aurora, Colorado. Um I have been a student athlete 6 six, year, 6 years old through um college. So, I was 23. Um played a variety of sports, um starting off with karate. That was that was the first thing that I participated in. Then I branched off to soccer, baseball, basketball, um and by the time I got to high school, I was playing football and Football was my primary sport. I earned an opportunity as a student athlete to continue my education um, at Scottsdale Community College, which is a junior college in Arizona. Uh, I did well in my freshman year. In my sophomore year, I had a breakout season where I had 23 tackles in one game and led the team in tackles, over 100 tackles, um, and earned a full-ride athletic scholarship to Lenore Ryan University in Hickory, North Carolina, um, and went on to play two years there and and earn my bachelor's in sports management uh, with a minor in business. Because I was a proud student athlete uh, my entire life, I I didn't have a lot of work experience. Um, So after my career was over and and I realized I wasn't gonna make it to the NFL, um, I was just scrapping by trying to find a job anywhere I could. So I was working at FedEx. Um I worked for a recreation center in Aurora, Colorado, uh making $7 an hour as a as a college grad. And so that was definitely an interesting moment in my life where it was a humbling experience, you know, to to be a college grad making $7 an hour. And so I knew I always wanted to to do something special in working with youth. I just didn't know what it was. And so I made that transition to education, doing security, and and then eventually went on to go to grad school and and get my master's in social work. Um, and it was then that I had decided that I wanted to combine social work with student athletics. Um, at that time period, I had some professors who were reading some of my papers and work, and they were telling me it's never going to work. And, and I was like, okay, well, you know, that's what you think. And so I'm I'm diligently writing these papers and trying to find anyone in, in anyone out there that was doing this work that I was so passionate about. And I came across Natalie Graves. And so I, I reached out to her and didn't hear back from her for a while. Um it might have it, it was a, a long while, but by the time I was ready to graduate, um, she had reached out and and that's when I got connected with the one in four and and that's when I had started becoming even more confident um, in, in what it was that I was trying to do. Because I knew that there were other people out there doing it. I knew that there was a need for mental health specialists that work with athletes. And I I knew that initially going, going taking this direction um, because I needed me as a student athlete. Um, and so we can kind of backtrack a little bit I had some scholarship opportunities out of high school, but my attitude, um, I struggled with my attitude. Um, I struggled with anger and sadness. Um, My father had, at that point in time, my sophomore year in high school, my father had passed away. And so there was a lot of sadness, a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, Um, no other family members, no males to look up to. Um, So I had to, I thought I had to figure out life on my own and so you know that that impacted some of the opportunities that I would have had coming out of high school um and then upon getting my full ride to my school in North Carolina I um essentially lost my full ride scholarship in in that same season I don't think I was ready for the south and and what it was that I was going to experience um in 2004 that was when you had government buildings in the South that were taking down Confederate monuments. And so there was, you know, you had both sides angry. One side angry because it was it represented their forefathers and then the other side angry because it represented hate. And, and you know, for me coming from Colorado, I knew, uh, but I hadn't been around the South um, in that capacity before. That's a whole nother story. I won't won't get into that one um, because that's a big part of C. Isaac Run. But I remember my first time going down to North Carolina was for summer. And, you know, they hadn't really had a lot of junior college players going to this school. They were a struggling program. Um, I get down there and I'm participating and I don't even remember the class. It it may have been history 101 or religion 101 because it was a religious based college. At one point, study group got together and so um, there was one of the girls she knew that myself and one of my teammates didn't have a car uh, so she came and picked us up and we went to somebody's apartment and started studying there was probably 10 of us there um, so my teammate and i being the only black people everyone else was white everybody from the south but me and and somehow we get on the topic of these these confederate monuments in government buildings and and you know essentially they're talking amongst themselves and me and my teammate are looking at each other, like, what in the world do we get into? And so then one of them turns to me and he's like, well, Jamal, what do you think? And then they all are just staring at me for what felt like five minutes. And I'm like, "Uh, what do I, what do I say? Like I'm in a compromising situation. Like I'm in this, this state that I've never, I've been in for all of two, three weeks I'm in a small town. I don't I don't know where I'm at. I don't know how to get around. And so the the only response that I can think of is to tell them, "Well, you know, I don't really know. I'm from Colorado. Like we don't we don't have that there." And they stared at me for what felt like another 30 minutes. Then they looked away and just kept talking. And so that was my first experience with the conflict with with race and Confederate flags and and you know their forefathers fought in the war and they're proud of this monument and and so that set the tone and that was one aspect that really made me resistant to interacting with with white people from the south um especially in this small town um and so you know I had that experience um I had experiences where I also wasn't I wasn't necessarily getting along with the black students and student athletes as well, especially the the guys on my team. Um, I don't know if there was resentment or if the word got out that I had a full ride and and most of the other players didn't. uh, But maybe some of that may have impacted it. Plus, um, I had a no nonsense mentality. Um, Again, I I also carried that anger and that sadness, but I didn't like to be disrespected. And so when people talked about me and where I'm from and, oh, you're from Colorado, you don't know what what it means to be black. There's no black people in Colorado. Um, You don't know anything about black culture. I took offense to it. And so, you know, that resulted in in me fighting during practice, fighting during games, fighting at fraternity parties, Um, and then eventually being kicked off the team in the last couple of games left in the season, being kicked off at halftime, being kicked off the team at halftime and having to go in the tunnel and then taking that ride back on the bus back to the school, knowing that I was essentially done. And so having that experience and, and then getting uh, really heavily into drinking and smoking. I was doing, I was smoking a lot of marijuana, drinking a lot, essentially that following season, Having to go back and the coach is saying that I need to apologize to the team and so apologizing to the team in spring football and and then that went okay I would say I think the the biggest issue that for me was that I started getting out of shape um i had been I had gotten injured the season before as well, and so that took a, its toll um had a specialist come in and looked at my knee and, and so I was hobbled all season long and then. Going into that spring season, um, after my apology, I was overweight. Um, I was still smoking, still drinking, but this time I knew that if I fought, it was over. Um, And and so went through that spring season, out of shape. It it was not pretty. Everybody knew it uh, that I was out of shape. Go into that spring um, end of year meeting. And you know it's when all your coach you you get called into the office and all your coaches, you know, give you insight on where they feel that you're at. And and I don't know how it worked for everybody else. Um, it was essentially my first and only spring football meeting. You know, and it, it, being in JUCO, we didn't we didn't really have that. Um, but being at LR, we had that spring meeting, and and it felt like the the show intervention. I don't know if you've ever seen that on A and E. It was like one by one, they, they go in a circle, like telling you stuff and, and it got to one coach and he was like, Jamal, if you get your head on straight, you could dominate. Like you could, you could like take over this league. And, you know, at that point I wasn't really trying to hear it. You know, I, I, I was, I was resistant to anything that they had to say. Um, I knew I played a role in, in my behavior. Um, but I, I had felt that other people played a role as well. And so I wasn't letting go of that piece and focusing on my own behaviors. And so, you know, they told me, well, if you if you got your head together, you could take over this league. And I'm looking around and all the coaches are just nodding and in agreement. And it went in one ear and out the other. Um, they were like, okay, well, here's your contract, sign it and we're good to go. Um, I never looked at my contract for the for the following year. Um, They never said, hey, you should look this over. Um, I never looked over it. I signed and and walked away and went to smoking and drinking again. Later on, I I found out that they had taken away my full ride scholarship down to the penny. I didn't have one dime and and there was never a conversation. It was just a contract and I signed and that was it. And and, And I didn't realize this until after I was gone from LR. And I started looking at those student loans and, and what was going on with all of that. Nevertheless, the season came up. Um, I played out of shape, still drinking, still smoking. And at that point, I, because I knew I was going to be kicked off if, if anything came up, kept my mouth shut. There was this, this belief or people just looked at me differently at this point in time. And so people talked to me crazy often. And I just had to keep my mouth shut and and I remember one day walking home from practice and and I just broke down. Um and I, I had called my mom and and she's like, what's going on? And and I didn't say anything to her. Like at this point, like, you know, I hadn't I really hadn't cried like that before. But I knew something was up. And and she's all the way in Colorado. I'm in North Carolina. Next thing I know, she had called my head coach and he's calling me into the office. I didn't trust him. And so he's asking me, you know, what's wrong? What's what's going on? I break down there and I never tell him anything, anything. You know, I'm I'm just sitting here taking this from teammates and, and not saying anything and just essentially being walked over. And so the biggest thing that came out of my experience from from being um, in college was number one, obtaining my degree. 'Cause that opened doors. And I also became a member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. And what that provided to me, especially when I moved back to Colorado, was um, a support system of, of men that 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 thought like me, that had experiences like me, that wanted to grow as professionals. Um and, and that brotherhood allowed me to meet some of my best friends and and colleagues and and Gave me the ability to network um, and created a path that helped me get to school social work and and to get to becoming an MSW and an LCSW and helped me get to um, student athlete counseling.
0: And as you're talking about your story, Jamal, there was a few points that really came through there, but one part that really stuck out was around the identity of being a student athlete. And what that means, like I said, drawing the good points, but also drawing the rough points. So how did you handle being a student athlete, there's points through injury, there's points through difficulty with coaches, being walked out, like I said, to the boss during halftime after you finished? So what that meant once you're finished your student athlete career, like what was next? How did you handle all that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, going back to, there's there's a, a few different things that we can go back to and talk about with that. Uh first and foremost, you know, with my own experience growing up, my father most people would put it was very uh old school in his discipline, um for me it was abusive. Um and and it was physically abusive. And so um you know, it they say they they, they the saying goes, um do as your parents say, not as they do. Um but what I experienced with my father is what I turned around and, and, and gave out to society uh, with my anger, you know, underlying that was the sadness, but like, you disrespect me, I'm going to be angry with you, or I'm just not going to have the tools to know how to deal with the situation, um, so I, I had coaches that were telling me that, oh, you need to lose some weight, you know, in, in the first two weeks of me even knowing who they were, and it's like, wait, like, who who are you, like, who are you talking to, like, I don't know you like that. How about you find out about me first? Unfortunately, I wasn't able to say that. All of that was just you know processing in my head at the time. Um, so there was, there was that situation. When I got injured, well, that was an interesting time period because I was, I was injured pretty bad. I had a knee injury and my knee swelled up really bad. They brought in the specialist. They were thinking about draining it, decided not to, told me I needed to rehab. Uh, the biggest challenge was that the travel, and so we, we had a game in West Virginia. So that was, I don't know, three, four hour bus ride. Having an injury and having to sit for three or four hours was, it was tough. Even to get from my dorm room to the bus, it, it took a while. And, you know, I, I, I distinctly remember having to use my arms to get me up the stairs, knowing that I couldn't play in the game, but they were like, you're going to play. And I distinctly remember walking up there. I, I've It's taken me forever to get up the stairs of the bus. And the coach said, stop, stop limping. Come on, Jamal. You got to get it together. And so I remember that whole time getting on that, walking to the bus, getting on the bus, driving to the game, getting treatment before the game. And that whole time in my head, I'm saying, there's no way I'm going to play. I can't even walk. I wasn't sleeping you know, I, I I couldn't I didn't sleep because I was in so much pain. And so I remember getting to the game. I remember going out on the field before everybody because they wanted to, to do some exercises to try to warm my knee up, going back in and coming out with the team, doing doing all of our warm up drills and then having to stay out afterwards with my position coach who made me do some more workout uh, warm up drills and then going back inside and again that whole time i i can't play i i know i can't play but not having the uh, the capacity to communicate to those coaches because i knew what their expectations were i went back in that locker room and it took me forever to get back in there because again i couldn't walk um and sitting down on the in that locker room on the bench and then, coach, you know, we go through our rah-rah speech, and everybody bring it in. Let's break, and sitting back down on the bench, and coach saying, "All right, let's go out." And I just sat there, and I, I didn't go out. I didn't say anything to anyone. I just didn't go out. And I started as soon as everybody left. I started taking all my stuff off. I put my my uh, my shorts and my t-shirt on, and cheered on my team, and coaches never said anything to me. And, and that, that was kind of the end of it. And that's when they brought in the specialist, but that whole season was a struggle. And I didn't know, I didn't know how to communicate and the expectation of your playing was already set. And I think that played a significant role in how the rest of the season would go because I, I, I was hobbled the, the rest of the season and even when I got to a place where I was like, yeah, I'm I'm coming I'm I'm back, um it didn't give me the playing time that I felt that I deserved and I didn't react to the situation well and I and at that point I wasn't getting along with my position coach. I didn't understand his position as a grad assistant and so I felt that he had more power than he really had. I resisted. I definitely resisted. Everything that that I had been taught growing up, especially from my father, as far as you just play, don't say anything. Don't you know, don't don't say nothing. You just play. Otherwise, you're going to mess it up. All of that went out the window and it was F you. I don't care about you. If, if you're taking my time away and I'm better than that other player, then then you can go to hell. You know, that, that was my mentality. Um, and it didn't matter if it was practice or a game, people were seeing all of that and, and I didn't care. And so, yeah, just, just that whole process on top of, you know, after the games were over heavily drinking, smoking, uh, marijuana, black and miles, like that, that was a, uh, a challenging two years for me to say the least.
0: Looking back at that experience, what do you feel would have been beneficial to have, or what supports or tools do you wish were available for you as a student athlete when you're going through all this?
1: Yeah, definitely that space to talk to a therapist. Just that space, like it, just that non-judgmental. Hey, what's what's going on with you? Because it just it wasn't there. My mom didn't know what to do. She would call, and she would be like well, why don't you go to the training room and, and, and get your blood pressure checked? And, you know, and there's, there's, there could be something going on. Um, and I know she was concerned with that because, um, high blood pressure and heart disease runs in my family. My father died at 47 of a heart aneurysm and my grandfather died at 46 from a heart attack. And so there was, there was a lot of the the concerns with, you know, blood pressure Um, And if I'm truly reflecting on what was going on, then I I think I was dealing with anxiety at that point in time and definitely some depression. Um, My father, when I was a sophomore in high school, he passed away um, just abruptly. It just just happened. We woke up one day to firemen coming in the house and and taking him out. And it's four in the morning and and then being at the hospital all day for him to pass away late at night. And so, you know, there was a lot that um, I feel had been unexplored as far as my mental health um, and that I didn't, I didn't know how to deal with. So, uh, you know, having you, having me, having Natalie Graves, having somebody who had the space to help me understand what was going on mentally um, and even going back and, and looking at my, my past experience Would have been helpful.
0: Because oftentimes we jump to, okay, physical injuries or physical concerns, but we are secondary to look at the mental health impacts or what's happened in in a student athlete's past experiences that could currently impact them. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of, would you say that was a big uh, reason that brought you to social work?
1: Yes, but it took other experiences in my adulthood to really – Trace that back, so, as I said, you know, work experience was something that I didn't have as a student athlete, and so by the time I had gotten myself to a place where you know I was feeling like i was I was doing some some good work in the community, I had my first desk job, um, and I was a workforce specialist and and I remember I was preparing for a presentation with human services um, to provide different resources to youth. Who were trying to obtain their GED high school diploma or um, a job um, and so I was putting all of the this this uh, swag together putting it in a box and at this point in time I was I was in great shape I was about 26 27 years old I had been in the gym every single day like feeling physically I was I was confident um, but I'm sitting there putting this swag together and I start pouring down sweat from everywhere, like from my head, like, and I'm in shirt drenched, shorts or, or slacks drenched. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, like I'm in good shape. Why, why am I sweating like this? And, and, you know, I kind of shrugged it off, you know, student athlete mentality, football mentality. I'm good. Like, I'm fine. Like I'm, I'm going to, you know, just keep pushing through. Um, So that was the first sign of anxiety. But I I didn't know it until um, a few months later, I was driving on the highway and I just bursted out crying. And I had to get off the highway park. I called my my girlfriend at the time and called my mom and they came up there. And and that was the first time I experienced a a panic attack. Um, They called the ambulance. The ambulance came, picked me up went to the hospital, um, they gave me some meds to, to help me calm back down. And, and at that point in time, I was like, okay, I need to go in and, and seek out some help. And so I, I went in and, and went to my primary care physician who gave me a little uh, computer and, you know, you do your questionnaire and, oh, you have anxiety. And so she gives me these pills and, and I take those, those home. And at this point in time, I'm still smoking. Um, so I'm I'm taking these meds for anxiety, and I'm smoking marijuana, and it wasn't too much longer after that that I had another anxiety attack, and went to the hospital. Except for this time, I was like, I need more than just primary care. I need more than this. And this was also at the time that I started grad school and started reflecting, and that's when I came to that realization that what I had experienced in childhood, as far as my father's discipline was was actually abuse. So I had this anxiety, I had this reflection of my experiences from childhood. And I had this this new job where the confidence, I I didn't have the confidence within this job. And so, you know, that was a a cocktail that uh, of destruction that resulted in in me um, going on FMLA from work for a good month, um, having a psychiatrist who administered medications. Um, and a therapist individual, and I did group counseling and so at that point in time, uh, I was getting a lot of care um it I really did struggle it was a struggle to get out of bed um it was a struggle like I was happy if i if I took a shower that day. it was that hard for me to to function on a daily basis, and so I kept pushing through eventually i I ended up I continued going to, to grad school and and really working through um, my childhood experiences and and my adult experiences and and really just just figuring out a way. I know I'm going on a tangent right now, but I just wanted to to kind of go.
0: But I think that is all important because again, one thing that's really is a huge part, and we often hear time after time after time with student athletes, especially, is around the warrior mentality issues. Put your head down, do what your job is, you know, play football, play basketball, play hockey, play soccer, whatever the sport is. Just do it. Don't ask no questions. And anything else you're dealing with, just push it in the back burner. You know, don't address it. But it's almost like a kettle on a stove. It's going to get louder and louder. And then eventually, the water's going to spout out of the kettle. But yet, that's the mentality that society has had for so long. And there's only so long we can take before we have that panic attack, before we have that breakdown, before we need all those supports wrapped around us. And feel free to correct me, Jamal, but it sounds in a lot of ways, even if those supports were asked from the student-athletes around, I need to speak to a counselor, I need a sports social worker, I need someone I I can feel safe with, at the time, would you say that, you know, the NCAA level of collegiate sports was there, or why do you think their response would have been?
1: Uh, At at that point in time, I don't even know what my response would have been, (laughs) you know, like, yeah. I don't, I could, it's, it's interesting you ask that question because even when I had the, the big uh, anxiety attack and, and went in to see my psychiatrist um, and, you know, at that point in time, I'm, I'm in grad school. I had just started. um, But, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, am I crazy? Am I going to have to be admitted to, to the quote unquote crazy house? And also the the stigma is is so real. It's so real, even for me, you know, going down this mental health route. And so to think that coaches would would be open to that at at that time frame, that was 2000, 2000, I was there from 2004 to 2006. I don't, I don't think it would have been, uh, acceptable
0: and the sad part is we still have coaches in today's side that even though there might be those supports are there we have coaches that still either don't want to understand mental health or still have that old school mentality of you do as I say no questions asked you know just do what uh, you're here for and no regard to a person's overall well-being
1: yeah most definitely I, I think I think you know we can even trace that back to Uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of the foundation of sports. You know, you, I was listening to Shaq's podcast and, and he kept trying to say there's a difference between mental health and mental fortitude. And he doesn't have mental health. He has mental fortitude and, you know, he's, he's, his mental health is fine. It's the people that are homeless that, you know, have mental health problems. And, and so it's, we can go back to the beginning of times. And I mean, for me, more specifically, I think, um just my own father's experience integrating public schools and making Georgia in the nineteen sixties, he couldn't say anything. He had to get on that field and run see Isaac run you know is what they called this this highlight tape, and that's what he had to do. you know there there were people using racial slurs. There were people that were, were fighting over, you know, black versus white, Poli- and whatever the politics of the time were, That and oftentimes related back to um, race. They couldn't really speak out on, on things like that. And so they were just forced to just play. And it worked for him. You know, it got him to college. Or at least he thought it worked for him. It got him to college. Um, it, it got him to the NFL. You know, and and he was able to reach that success. But um, I don't know, man, it's 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 sad. It's sad to to know that we're still at that state with some of these coaches Um, and and they look at them as essentially just money, you know, wins and money is is what is what they're looking at them that instead of looking at them as a whole person Um, prior prior to student athlete, they were a whole person. There was somebody's pride and joy when they were born. And and those parents looked at them like, you're gonna do great things. You're gonna be successful. You know, and then we get to this place, um, and, and I got to that place where all of these talents, all of these successes I had growing up, I was I played an instrument. I I, I draw, I still draw to this day. i I love I love to be creative. I'm working on this documentary. You know, I have all these different I had all these different passions growing up as a kid. Um, all these different sports that I played as a kid, and then eventually, as you get older, you hone in on that one sport, and that truly becomes your identity. And there's not, nothing else matters. It's like, well, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna What are you gonna go to school for? Uh, I don't know business. You know, I if if I had a dollar for every time right now, I hear a kid who plays football or basketball, like, oh, I'm gonna go to school for business, and it's like. Ah, that's that's cringeworthy. Like, what do you mean business? That's so general. But if you start talking game film or or you know talking technique in football or you know what kind of shooting guard you are, what kind of point guard, like they can tell you all about that. So, you know that that concept of putting all your eggs in one basket, like it's it's uh,
0: and it's something where as soon as that student athlete period of life is gone, it's now what. Like the identity shatter I um, almost talked about. That impacts us like at the age of 21, 22, 23. It was only recently i seen an article talk about student a- or about athletes in general, even at the professional level, retiring at the age of 22. Most people are only starting their career at 22. So now it's okay. Who am I now? Every other part of my life has been stripped from me. So now it's a question of, okay, what will the next phase look like? And what other skills have I been taught outside of my sport? Because for most of my life, that's all I've been looked at.
1: Yep, yep. And and it's um it's a question when I'm able to sit down with student athletes, even in my school, some of my fifth graders, because they'll be like, Yeah, I want to play in the NFL. That's a conversation I have with them. I'm like, Oh, okay, that that's fine if you want to be in the NFL, but like, like what else are you gonna do? Like, like what is your passion outside of sports? Like and why can't you do both? That's the big question I ask. Why can't you do both? Like, why can't you be great at both? And you see the wheel spinning. Whether they're able to connect those dots, that remains to be seen. But it's like why why can't you be, you know, this professional in the NFL if, if that's what you choose to be, if that's what you want to be, but also why can't you be an engineer? Or why why can't you be a, a sports trainer, an athletic trainer, or why can't you be a teacher, or whatever the case may be? Like you know, it's it's expanding that that thought process. It's like, this is great. I'm not going to rain on your parade. Like, if you want to be in the NFL, I'm not going to be the one to tell you that the, the chances are are slim because there's a 100,000 other people out there that are going to do that to you. Um, and eventually, time will tell if, if you are going to be that guy or not. Um, but I will say, why can't you do both?
0: And I think that's great because it looks at like the holistic approach of someone. And it's not like I said it's not tearing down their dream at the age of ten years old, but is looking at them as a whole person, which I think we need a society change and a shift at all levels, from the school level, from the sports field level, to the association levels as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I think it's it's interesting, and as I as we sit here and kind of talk about that, like I think about my wife because my wife was a college athlete as well. She threw shot put and and um, she. Essentially, what she was going to become a doctor, um, and so she was taking all of her prerequisites, and and um, it interfered with her athletic participation, and her athletic guidance counselor told her, "You can't take this many classes; it's too much. Like you're going to burn out. It's impossible with your schedule." And she said, "Nope, this is what I'm doing, and that's what she did." And then, you know, for her, it kind of got to a point where um, she got to. Getting ready to go into her junior and senior year, and and she had to make a choice. It was, do I want to graduate in four years, or do I want to play this sport that essentially after I'm done with two years, I'm I'm never going to play again? And so she chose to to graduate in four years, and and you know it's in some cases it's kind of sad that that you you have to choose, um, but that's that's kind of the the system that that we're in right now, and. And I hope that, you know, at some point in time, we'll be able to create uh, a system within these higher education realms that allows for student-athletes to to be student-athletes.
0: Because, <laughs> again, we often refer, look at the second part, the athlete part, but the student mm-hmm. often gets left behind.
1: Yes, definitely, definitely.
0: And moving forward, like say you you kind of gave a – a smidge of it already, but in terms of the documentary you're working on now, "See Isaac Run," in terms of, like your own father's experience, you know, let our listeners know a bit more around what the work you've been doing and how this has been beneficial for yourself as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I, I started um, working on C. Isaac Run" uh, when I started grad school in 2011. Um, at that point in time, you know, everywhere I had gone, I had carried around a VHS of my father's highlight called C Isaac Run. Um and and that aired in nineteen sixty nine on on Morning News, um ABC Morning News. Um and so my dad is is like a local celebrity in, in Macon, Georgia. Um and that resulted that highlight resulted in him earning over a hundred division one scholarships to to everywhere. Um and so a lot of this story my dad didn't talk about. Um He experienced a lot being, you know, one of the first classes. He was the third class to integrate white public schools in Macon, Georgia. So um, with that experience, you know, cheering for him when he's scoring touchdowns and, you know, when, when halftime comes up, KKK marching um, or just, you know, the experiences that they had with the MLK assassination, Malcolm X, you know, in the reaction of his white peers, you know, there was definitely uh, a level of toxicity that, that existed. And so um, through all of those experiences, um, he was able to prevail and be successful in, in, in becoming a top rated running back and, in, in um, an all American running back um, out of Georgia. And so I don't want to get too deep into it because I'll start telling, telling everything, but essentially it's me reflecting, um, on his experiences, um, since he didn't talk about them a lot. And since he died when I was 16, a lot of these stories I didn't get to hear, um, or or know about. And it really relates to my own experiences and, and, in healing within my relationship with him, um. And and forgiving him for the experiences that we had together. Um and so that all of that those aspects will be connected to my own experience as a student athlete, um, and, and a lot of that stuff that, that we addressed earlier today, um, and connecting it to student athlete counseling, uh, the private practice as well as the, the C Isaac Run curriculum, um, which you know will will target uh, mental health in, in athletics, um, substance use, uh, familial relationships, um, a lot of different angles that, that I'm, I'm trying to target to um, essentially create a blueprint uh, for our up-and-coming student athletes who may be going through some of these experiences or maybe just need somebody um, to, to kind of create that space for them to understand what they might be experiencing so that they can grow and become that successful student athlete that they want to become.
0: And we'll link all, like I said, the, your website, org, your social media. So where people can kind of keep, you know, updated on the documentary when the uh, new information is coming out about that as well. Cause I remember you, you did a launch, um, that was back the spring of 2022, I want to say.
1: Yes, yes. Did the launch of the, the um, screening of C. Isaac Run with some of the elements. And then this past summer, I actually went down to um, interview some more folks and, and to learn some more about my dad's experiences.
0: So definitely a great journey there. We'll get people to uh, get all the information there as well. It'll be in the not. notes as well and it'll be on our social media. People can find that information there as well. Thank um, you. So one thing we often do here on Courtside Wellness as well is why we call our rapid fire. So t- typically it's three quick questions, kind of first response to come to mind. In your opinion, what would you say makes a well athlete?
1: Uh, what makes a well athlete? Um, man, just functioning in within their home environment, school environment, and athletic environment.
0: Look at the full picture. No, definitely like that for sure. What would you say brings you happiness currently?
1: Um, my family, my my son, and and my wife, and and us seeing him grow each day. You know, every day is is a success. You know, seeing him laugh, seeing him clap, like it's it's the the funnest thing, the greatest thing ever.
0: And what would you say would be the biggest word of advice you'd like to give a current student athlete out there?
1: Uh, stay true to yourself. Um, whatever you're passionate about, like, follow that through. Even when you're not feeling confident about it, keep pushing. Uh, good things will come.
0: And that's definitely a message that is so true That's easy to get lost in, like I said, the pressures, the stress, the coaches, all the uh, dynamics of being a student athlete. And I want to thank you, Jamal, for joining us here at Courtside today. talking about your own experiences talking about your story, and like I said, promoting sports social work, and like I said, all the work that you have done from student athlete counseling, from being a school social worker, through the documentary, and like I said, all the efforts you put into numerous aspects to grow this profession as well.
1: You're welcome, and, and thank you for having me, man. I'm I'm honored, man. I've been listening to to the podcast, and I love what you're doing with it, and and just creating this space. Like I'm, I'm excited to see what the future holds for for your work.
0: Appreciate it, and definitely keep us updated. And any changes, like I said, come forward with student athlete counseling and see how run documentary.
1: Well, Steph, will do.
0: Folks, if you enjoyed today's episode and want to check out other episodes, check us out on Spotify, Apple. Audible and Podbeam. You can also follow us on social media at Wellness Athletic Services on Facebook and Instagram. If you have any questions or ideas for the show, feel free to email us at Wellness Athletic Services at gmail.com. Thank you and stay well.